The idea of job security is outdated as a landline. If you haven't been in a search for a while, it's probable you will at some point, by choice or not. Most executives admit to staying way too long or sense what's coming and justify staying anyway. Here, there's another reason. The faulty belief that navigating to what's next will inevitably be worse and has to suck. Screw that. Lauren Greif has spent a lifetime in corporate and executive search, calling bullshit on stale career advice that most still use. This is Career Blast in a Half, the career podcast for executives ready to cut past outdated career advice to fuel your outcomes now. So let's go. This is episode one of Career Blast in a Half, and I am ginormously grateful to have our guest today, Robin Merle. Robin is a living legend, and I'm going to tell you why. But what you need to know about Robin is she's been there, done that. And her book, Involuntary Exit, is always at the top of my recommendation list. I keep the link nearby. And every time I'm in a, in a Zoom call, I make sure that people know where to get this gem of a book. But most importantly, the insights that are in the book, because we've all been there. We've been involuntarily exited. We've been fired, retrenched, eliminated, made redundant. I don't care what terminology you want to use. We've all been in that state of career whiplash. So Robin, thank you so much for coming today and talking about involuntary exits and a woman's guide to thriving after being fired. And even if you're not a woman, this episode is for you. Welcome, Robin, and so happy to have you here. Thank you, Lauren. I am delighted to be here with you. You and I have gone over a lot of career transition material together since I wrote the book. I'm a little taken aback by being called a living legend. I'll take it and hope to live up to that legend. So happy to talk to your people listening to this podcast about my book and career transitions. Absolutely. It's happening more and more. Mm-hmm. It's happening more and more. This thing that used to seem like an anomaly is more epidemic than the common cold. So what is, I mean, on the upside, right? The shame factor on the surface can seem like, well, it happened to me, you know, it's just like another making the donuts. It just happens. But that isn't how people internalize it. Mm Mm-hmm. And one of the things that you talk about very, very clearly and and, and importantly is that a lot of what's happening is really not your fault. Exactly. And I want to say, I think involuntary exits, yes, there's been an increase with the layoffs resulting from an overhiring in the tech sector and and in some other sectors, not just to, to pick on them, but involuntary exits have always been happening. We're hearing about them more. And I think that's a good thing. So I wrote my book before the pandemic when people just didn't talk about it. And as we've learned, when you don't talk about things, they brew, they take a toll on your psyche, and you feel like you're the only one in the world experiencing this shame, this devastation, this loss of identity, this loss of purpose, all of which 
are part of that job loss when you're suddenly asked to leave a company where you have dedicated so many hours of every day of your life to making that company profitable. And then suddenly you're not there anymore. And I think, as I said, this has been happening, but it's more in the open, which is a good thing. Every woman that I interviewed for my book had either been let go or knew someone who had been in or who had been let go. And people said, how did you find these people? And I said, well, it wasn't hard. I would say I'm writing a book about involuntary exit. And they'd say, well, let me tell you my story. Mm-hmm. And then finally, I sat down with a woman who was clearly traumatized by what had happened to her. And I said, let me bring my tape recorder and you tell me how you felt at each stage of this. And what I found out, and it's across the board, that we integrate our identity so closely and tightly with what we do for a living, that when that's taken away, we're just lost. Mm. And I couldn't find any kind of book or quote manual that dealt with this emotional roller coaster. Not only do we feel that we have to go out and get another job, Mm. but how prepared are we to do that when we're traumatized by, wait a minute, I gave 10 years of my life to making this company profitable. And in, as I say, less than 30 seconds, which is the length of time it takes for someone to say, you're being replaced. Our lives change. In up and down the ladder, our lives change. And we don't realize it until we're sitting at home the next day in what one woman I thought so aptly described as the stillness mm. of our days. So and I know this isn't just for women, right? The enmeshment between our identities and our jobs. It's like, I am my job, right? I am my career. I am my title. I am my company. I am my, you know, persona of something, something, something. And then poof, it's gone. And now I am rudderless. Right. I mean, people would would talk about when you introduce yourself, you say, well, I'm Lauren Greif and I do X, Y, Z, that your title, what you do is the next thing that comes out. You don't say I'm Lauren Greif and, you know, I completed the Ironman, which you probably did and no one knows about. I wouldn't be surprised about. But the different aspects of your life that make up who you are, are not in your introduction, typically. So why is the starting point also part of the upside and the solution of getting out of that shame-based place? Because at that starting point, when you feel that level of rudderless, I mean, on some level, you know, it's like, oh, you got to create whatever that is, that identity going forward. But I think that what's happened with the pandemic, right, is that we have given ourselves and the world has supported the shift in being able to have more to our lives than just that one segment of our purpose, right? And ideally, to be able to put some healthy boundaries when they do collide, right? I mean, we want them to, we want them to overlap. They're not in their separate compartments. We want there to be some spillover, but we also don't want to over-index. So talk to us about how people recover 
from that place of shame when they get into the involuntary exit as part of your book and part of your plan? What are the steps that they go through? Right. I think one of the most important steps is to talk about it. Mm. And yes, people can talk about it to their career coaches, to their therapists, to their families, to other people who will listen to them. But what's really valuable is to talk to other people who have also gone through it. And you and I are both members of Chief, a community of high-level C-suite women. And there within Chief, there is a group called the Career Transition Group. And the service that this does for women going through this transition is enormous. Because once you feel part of a community and you can share and exchange things that are happening to you or the toxic environment you came from or the kind of leadership that drove you out, it defangs. It defangs that horrible sense of, oh my God, this only happened to me. Why am I being, why am I still having this negative loop of self-talk at night about what I could have done to make it unhappen to me or not happen to me? And it goes back to this loop of blame, which is not very productive, but to say the least. But as I've said, when I've talked to, I have a social worker who uh, consulted with me on the book and she said, you know, women in particular, I'm sure men as well, will blame themselves because it gives them a way to fix it. Mm. If I was responsible for it, I can also be responsible for fixing it. And we all like to be fixers of things. We're all problem solvers at this level in our careers. That's what we do. But the fact is that walking, as I say, from the bridge from blame to bold to say, wait a minute, whatever happened, happened because of that business's direction, that leader's choice. It was a business decision. And my decision now is to move forward for my own good, for my betterment. I need to be the CEO of me, not the CEO oh. of the service of that company. Oh, I say that in the so, welcome episode, right? CEO right? of your career and CEO of your life. Exactly, exactly. And surrounding yourself with other people who have gone through the same things, they'll get it and they'll support you and they'll hear you. And most importantly, you'll feel seen. Because I think what happens to go back to that original comment about the stillness of your day, people end up feeling invisible. Mm. Suddenly their day, their calendars are not full. Their email boxes are empty. And in the worst cases with some some of the, the firms, they tell you you're no longer a part of them and boom, your screen goes dark. Oh, completely. Your screen goes dark. It, it is, you know, I've heard it called terrifying, right? Oh, I couldn't agree with you more. So if you're not in chief, right, and yep. you're listening to this episode, I guess the question that I'm also having is not just community, but how do you how do you embrace the level of community without tamping down on the problem? Because those bitch sessions mm-hmm. yes. can be really, yes. like, you need to get it off your chest, but you also can't necessarily wear it all day every day because because that (laughs) exactly it it gets heavy and it also I'm just going to say it like it is it's a turn off to other people it's like 
I remember when I got divorced, I, nobody wanted to hear about my horrible ex-husband. You know, it's like, right. come on. Right. Some people did, but not everybody did. And so I think I'm a big proponent of joining groups and associations and reaching out to people. So there are associations, for example, that help people, their industry affiliated, still go to those, still go Mm -hmm. to those. Before you do, though, I also think you have to be very mindful of how you present yourself, right? to avoid what you're talking about. You don't want to be the pro- the downer at the table that said, oh, well, let me tell you what happened to me. And, you know, you can bet it's going to happen to you. No, no, no. You have to come, you have to be prepared to come with a way to talk about your experience and not talk about your experience. Mm-hmm. For example, I'm no longer with Lauren Greif Enterprises. I'm looking for something new. What are you into? What have you explored? Just I'm no longer with is enough. Right. People say, oh, what happened? What happened? Because everybody loves gossip. Say, oh, we just parted ways. Now let's talk about the future. Always focus on the the future. Now, if there aren't, you can go online, you can find all these various groups. Some of them will be weird. Some of them will be fine. Some of them will be, you know, oh, I never, I never thought that I was interested in ornithology. Let me, let me explore that. It's not necessarily related to your job, but it is related to your mental health. To, to get out of that band of, of just talking about what happened to you and start to talk about something completely new. Absolutely. And, um, and I think, networking. I know you're going to talk uh, about that, but I'm going to leave that to you to ask the, the key questions about that. Well, I, I, think think that um, I think that I'm going to throw out one of the questions I know you get asked all the time. How long does the grieving process take? Okay. Yes. Right. And before we get into it depends, because I'm going to tip your hand. I think that it's important to understand that we are not dumbing down the impact of what's happening and not but and this is about moving on. This isn't about digging your heels into that place. We're here to help you thrive, not die. Right. Thank you for saying all of those things. And I think, you know, people will say a variation of the question, how long does it take? It's, am I recovered yet? And one of the signs is that you're talking more about the present and the future than the past. Oh, praise God. Yes. And that, you know, your mind is thinking about more things than what your company did to you. And you're no longer in that phase of what I call yearning and searching. So let me go to answer your question forward. I am going to go back a little bit to your point about grieving. So there is a grieving framework for this. And while most people know Kubler-Ross, the stages of, of grief, I thought that the stages outlined by John Bowlby, who's a British uh, psychoanalyst, regarding separation and attachment, And it's really a framework for children, but it works because it's about separation and attachment, which is what happens when you're severed. And I want to use that term deliberately from a community, your organization. Mm -hmm. And the first phase is shock and numbness. That's that's the immediate. That's the, the terror when your screen goes dark. It's like, what? What just happened? I thought they would give me a couple weeks. I thought they would let me say goodbye. What just happened to me? Right. The second one is yearning and searching, yearning for the way things were, searching for why they're not, 
You know, oh. what did I do? What are the clues? What could I have done better? All of this is normal and natural. I want to make sure everybody knows this, that this oh, isn't yeah. this I, isn't out of the ordinary. Totally. I, all I can think about when you talked about the yearning and searching was the feeling that I had of the scramble, like grasping yes. and 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 trying to put some footing into place. And I wanted to say it, I've been there, right? Impulsive. Yes. A lot of self-soothing. I need to just send out a million of those resumes and I need to yes. apply now, apply now, apply now, because that will abate some of that anxiety that I have around the fact that I feel a little lost right now. I'm so glad you said that because I do talk about the impulsivity of, you know, sending out holiday cards in August or the comfort zone of creating a spreadsheet of all the recruiters, you know, or anything, nothing wrong with that. It is a comfort task, but be aware if you can kind of do a meta on yourself of, okay, I understand I need to do this right now, but then I'm going to need to move on. And so that grasping also, and I it just went through this yesterday with somebody that I was speaking to, is I'm just going to coin a phrase that I just created in my head. Okay. That desperate control. Yes. Yes. Desperate control, which is related to being able to fix things, which is related to blaming yourself, right? Any kind of loss, because divorce is a loss of many, many things, right? Can pull in these items, this this des need for desperate control to make it right, to fix it, to not be lost so much, right? As you feel that you are. So the third phase is aptly called disorganization and disorientation. Mm. And as one woman in my book said, you know, they spend two days on orientation at my company when you join. Why don't they spend at least two days on disorientation when they let you go? It Both processes are transitions. You're going in and you're going out. And then the final phase of this grieving framework is resolution and acceptance. Mm. And to get to your question about how long, I've seen women who try to skip the middle phases, right? They go mm -hmm. from shock and numbness to, okay, I accept this, I'm done. Doesn't happen. They slip back into those feelings at night, like, well, wait a minute, this didn't get me anywhere. Why am I still thinking about this? Why do I feel like I'm going in a circle? So it is a process, like most things, when you're trying to get over a major, and I call it a trauma in your life because it's a big life changer. It takes time. And it can't be rushed. It can be helped. Mm -hmm. Now, how long does it take? As I say, you know, oh, you can find a you can find a job. You know, I found a job in in about nine months. I actually found a job shorter than that. And I remember the HR person said, "Are you ready for this?" Which was very kind. And I actually wasn't. I wasn't. I wasn't ready to jump right into something else. But it will depend. But people have told me, and this always scares people, that it took them three years. Mm. To not They were already employed in a new job, but to come to terms with the baggage. Mm -hmm. And somebody else said to me, and I loved this comment, she said, you know, the baggage really never goes away. It just gets lighter. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it even has wheels on it. So you can roll it through your psyche a little bit more easier or easily. But the fact is... We can reframe that. 
from being baggage to lessons learned that made us stronger. Because what I've heard from so many women, they don't want to feel that pain again, right? Mm -hmm. So that they're able to say, okay, I've been here. I know I feel pretty bad right now, but I also know it's not going to last. I also know I have to get out of my own way. I have to start reaching out to people. I can frame this in a positive way. Oh, I heard you were, you lost your job. Yeah, I did. But you know, it was a great place to work. And if you, if you tuned into some of the tweets of people after they were let go at Twitter, they loved that company. And there was a lot of love going through that. Yes, Mm -hmm. there was also the opposite. But as soon as you start to reach out to other people, whether it's one, two, three, four, or five, it starts to turn a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I think for, I call them allies. Mm -hmm. And I think for allies, they also have to understand, if you will, what to say and what not to say. Mm -hmm. And mostly they need to listen. They just need to listen. So you have your allies mm-hmm. and then you have the people that you are networking with. Correct. Right? So then you have the people, they can be the same, but talk to us about someone who has been through some part of the grieving process and they're moving towards that healing space and they're feeling more ready because yeah. you're not necessarily going to have, I always like, hear this from people, you know, like, I don't know if I'm ready. I think I'm ready. And it's not something that there's that, you know, Purdue oven stuff or roaster bell that (laughs) go off one day and you're going to get that signal. That's to some degree, an important level of self-awareness. And Mm -hmm. there's a piece of me being so action, you know, biased towards action or action oriented that says, you know, start before you're ready. And start before you're ready isn't necessarily go throw yourself out there, but take some good and helpful initial steps. Don't go from zero to 300 and start dipping your toe in so that you can build some of that resiliency muscle back. So I want to drive this scenario here. So there's somebody who is, you know, they admitted that they're making their way through the grieving process. Help me to understand what should they say when. Somebody says, well, what happened? I can't believe that you're no longer at ABC Company. And you, as the person that's responding, are feeling some of that boiling coming up, come up. And how much attention should you give that in a way that's both truthful and authentic and doesn't necessarily derail the conversation? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. And I think that I have tips in the book about how to do that. And some of them are just drawn from, you know, basic work in the room. Mm. Work in the room principles. So we all know what it's like to get stuck talking to somebody we don't want to talk to. We may have even been the person for others in the room. And so, you know, there are just so many different ways to gain back control of the conversation. All right. Mm. So Robin, I hear you're no longer with, you know, bogus organization. And Robin says, that's right. I'm disappointed, but I'm moving on. How are you doing? 
Just get it away from yourself. Yeah, but I heard that such and such is also leaving and, you know, there's a lot of turmoil and people are unhappy. I really don't tune in anymore to what's going on because I'm looking ahead. So how are you? Have you heard about what's going on at, mention another company that you're interested in, you know, just, just steer it away because believe me, it's really strange how people feel that sometimes getting laid off is contagious. (laughs) <laughs> and there's actually, yeah, and there's actually been some pretty bad stuff written by high-level scholars about the social contagion of companies laying people off. And somebody from a very high-level tech company sent me this without any explanation. And I said, why is this person speaking about this as if it's a virus? This is this is not the case. These are business decisions. Of course, the person never worked in a company. But on a more personal level, people get nervous that it's going to happen to them, okay? So I call that the the fear of contagion. And when they're pressing you for these answers, it's like, how did you know? What did they say? Should I be worried? What can I do? You know what? That's not your responsibility. Uh. That's not your role. You have just experienced something really jarring to your whole sense of yourself, purpose, and and what you want to do, you're not in the business of taking care of them. And for all the people pleasers in the world, I know this comes as a shock, but you don't need to. You need to please yourself first. And, you know, I've said this to people who are being, who are literally in the process of being fired. And I said, what do you care if that conference goes forward? You don't. You have to take care of yourself first. Take care of yourself, just like in the airplane, you know, take care of yourself first. Believe me, it will continue. It will continue without you. Maybe at not the high level, you know, that you would do it at, but it'll it'll continue. But I want to segue in, go ahead. What I was going to say about your response with the redirection of that conversation mm-hmm. is that people love to talk about themselves. Oh gosh, they do. So when you're doing that, you're just opening that door for them to go on and on and on about themselves. And as I've talked about in some of the meetings that we've been a part of, when people are talking about themselves, it's eliciting the brain to feel good. It's the endorphin rush, the same rush that you get with sex, drugs, and good food. (laughs) You're doing them a favor by offering that to them that they're probably not going to refuse. So it serves both purposes. It gets you away from having to regurgitate some of the history and it gives them the gift of being able to expound on themselves. That's a great way to put it. I love that. And it enables me to segue into the what I wanted to say about networking. I really wish networking had another name. So that people would, because it's just risen up as this, oh my God, I now have to network and it becomes this um, this fearful thing that people have to do. But let's think about it as curiosity, intellectual curiosity, or just plain old curiosity about how other people got to where they are. So, and it's one, I have five criteria for successful networking, none of which have to do with getting a job. And I know you believe okay. this as well, because I just hear, heard you talk about that. Let's hear your that. five criteria. Oh, gosh. I don't, uh, let me see if I can remember it. 
will this be an interesting meeting? Mm-hmm. Will I learn something new? Mm-hmm. Will I be able to help this person? Mm-hmm. Will I be able to help them? Mm-hmm. Will they be able to help me? Mm-hmm. Doesn't get a job, or you know, and will my? Uh, I always forget the last one, but it probably has to do. With, will my thinking be changed in any way? Mm-hmm. And it all revolves around being curious. Mm-hmm. Like Lauren, how did you come up with this idea of Rocket Portfolio? What a cool name, right? Or rocket. rocket, or what? You know, what a cool name. And I've seen your icons. That's so great. It's so creative. How did you do that? And by you telling me all these things, it's not superfluous. I'm learning. I'm learning how to build. I'm learning how to get ahead. I'm learning how somebody else did it so that I can take those lessons away. And at the end, I might say, well, Lauren, how can I help you? You know, how can I spread the word about what you're doing? Mm -hmm. And we've heard a lot about um, the beauty of, I'm going to call it curiosity, not networking, of give and take, right? Because it, if it's transactional, if it's just a take, can you give me three leads? Mm, this is and not it a doesn't transactional work exchange, right? Like there's no, you're not at a flea market, right? <laughs> Let me barter for this or barter for that. That's right. That's what gives it the ickiness. I also want to share this piece that you talked about, but for its applicability for the audience. Mm-hmm. Notice how in Robin's examples, she was using this very simple, but very catalytic way of keeping the conversation going, which is how, how did you, Yes. how, how, how? I did not hear her say, wow. I heard her say how, and the <laughs> acronym that I often refer to for how is humility open-mindedness, and willingness. I love that. Humility, open-mindedness, and willingness. Willingness, yep. And that way, you're coming there with a spirit of inquisition, not interrogation, inquisition with respect to what can you find out about this person? How can you demonstrate that level of interest in them? And guess what? You're not doing it so that they become interested in you, but that does happen. <laughs> oh, it absolutely happens. Because as you said, people love to, to speak about themselves. And if you're not faking it, and you shouldn't be, if you are genuinely interested in what they're saying, even if in the back of your mind, you're interested because you're thinking, Oh, how will this help me? And what am I learning along the way? You will hear something that is very empowering. Okay. And then people might say, well, that's all well and good, Lauren and Robin, but how's that get me to my next job? Here's how it gets you to your next job. So you've had a conversation you say, oh my goodness, you know, look at what she did. You follow up with an email and you say, you know, I was really interested in how you spoke about creating this program and the people that helped you along the way. Can you make an introduction to me for me? Can you connect us? Because I would love to hear from them, you know, how they did this. And it just starts to cascade. I always say, you know, one contact, it can be cascading. Um. And 
in or outside of a group, people, it's so easy for people to connect other people. I spoke with such and such. I thought she could learn something from you. I spoke with such and such. I know that you are working on creating a new product or that you're in this industry or whatever it is. Do you mind spending 20 minutes of a virtual coffee speaking with this person? This and is music, music to my ears. This is the lifeblood mm-hmm. of what differentiates people, not just through the thriving of an involuntary exit, but also what keeps them in a healthier place going forward. Your network is not like a transaction that just happens right. when you're in a job search. That is your entire insurance policy for your community from that point on. And I think that once we get over and maybe recreate the name for your networking, it starts to make sense. And we know many people, one of them, Rachel Rosen, I hope you're listening. Yes. Really got lit up. I call her the accidental networker. Because she did not go into it with her pom-poms. At first, she was doing what a lot of people do is kicking and screaming because they feel obligated to do it because they know how, quote unquote, beneficial it is. And they kind of do it with a little bit of a chip on their shoulder. I have to. Well, after a little while, you figure out it's kind of like a pretty cool, fun thing to do. And chances are you're going to leave that conversation feeling lifted and you'll have a smile on your face. Yeah. And guess what? I mean, there's so many, there's so many benefits to this. I mean, we know the saying that, you know, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and thinking you'll have a different result. Well, it's the same for the groups, you know, you keep going back to the same groups and thinking you're going to hear something different or something new. It's not going to happen. So reaching out, I know that Rachel started and kudos to her, you know, doing book reviews. Well, how many new people do you think that that brought into her world? A Uh lot, a lot. And those new people, they're not in the same orbit you've been in. They're introducing different worlds and they're doing what is so important to somebody recovering from a job loss. They're helping you think differently. Think differently about opportunities. Think differently about who you are. Think differently about how you've been spending your days. Because once you exercise that curiosity, The world out there is quite amazing, changing very quickly. There's all sorts of new things you have not been able to take stock of because you've been meeting your goals and getting par, below par, above par, evaluations wherever you are and worried about, you know, well, is this going to be, is this strategy the right strategy? How's the bottom line? All of those things that we're as good workers that we worry about and strive for. But we need to change those goals once we're the CEO of ourselves and figure out, okay, what are my expectations for myself? And I know a lot of the type A women that we are and that we know, they might say, okay, well, how many people do I need to consider my group refreshed? I don't know. For some, it could be three. You want a goal? Make a goal? Make a goal? Complete scientists. No, it's not. But it should be something that makes you feel accomplished. You know, if I say I talk to one new person a day, that's my goal. And I have just stay consistent with that. So we're going to wrap up this interview and I'm going to ask you my three signature questions. 
this is career blast and a half. So I want to make sure that people are left with a blast. And <laughs> since I am so much a believer in having a reminder or a post-it, coming out of this conversation, respecting that you're the expert on involuntary exit, what's the post-it that people should put on their desk as a gentle reminder during this time? Don't confuse moving quickly with moving forward. Oh, bam. That was a blast. Okay. <laughs> Don't confuse moving quickly with moving forward. Second question is, since this is a, a medium that's able to reach many, 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 many people, and now we're going to put you in the middle of Times Square, <laughs> what's your billboard? Oh, gosh. What's the message that you want people, whether they're going through an involuntary exit or not, to see? Oh, gosh, that's a tough one. And for some reason, what bubbles up is Aretha Franklin. You know, respect yourself. Mm. Respect yourself. Mm -hmm. and, you know, and in that way, and start singing that song, R-E-S-P-C-T, mm. you know, that's what comes to mind. Oh, man. You just set me up for my next and last favorite question. What's your walk-up song, Robin Merle? My walk-up song? Yeah. So, you know, like every, oh, I have every one. great athlete. Oh, let's hear it. I have one because I actually have a playlist that I created yeah. in my book. And it's Macklemore's Feeling Can't Hold Us. Shit, you're kidding me. That's mine. I'm oh, no. Talking. Come on. Where on my <laughs> life. Yeah, that it yeah. is. It is. Oh, I walked wow. up to the stage for an award. I knew I liked you. <laughs> Robin Merle, thank you so much for that. Thank you so much for everything that you've shared. Thank you for your consistent love and caring for this audience. And we'll be putting all of these links in the show notes. Great. Until next time, thank you for joining. Hit the subscribe button because yes, you don't want to miss the next episode. You'll see links also for Robin Merle's book and also where you can find her on LinkedIn, et cetera, et cetera. So anyway, have a great day, everybody. And thanks again. Thank you. It's been a blast. Thank you for joining today. We appreciate your listening ears. Big time. We ask this. Use these tools, not tomorrow, right now, and share them by spreading the love, leaving us a rating and subscribe so you don't miss the next Career Blast in a Half. Most of all, thank you for you.